So you, have you ever heard of the latte factor? Mm. You know, if you're familiar with it, but the basic idea is people get hung up on the latte part of it. That's not really what it's about. The idea is if you can give up some small thing that you buy every day or, or every week you spend money on and instead save it and invest it, eventually it turns into a pile of cash. You're listening to Investing for Good, a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. And now, here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, Julie, how's it going? Hey, Annie, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, I was just thinking about how my kids... Like I mentioned in a previous episode, my kids are super into Plants vs. Zombies these days. And so <laughs> their big thing is they, they're trying to save up for an Xbox. Oh, and okay. so we made this whole plan and we we're like, this is how you're going to earn money. And they came up with some mm-hmm. ideas and they were like, okay, day one, they were like gung ho on it. They were <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to do all these chores. I'm going to do all this stuff. And they got, you know, a good sum of money because we overpay as parents. <laughs> um, day two, they're still like into it. By the second week, it was like, no. I'm not doing any of that. And the reason that I think I was thinking about that was because in today's conversation with Rob Berger, of uh, the author of Retire Before Mom and Dad, he talks about that, how it's so important to save. And Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's something that most people skip over. They just want to get straight to the investing part or straight to the sexy stuff. But the saving part is really... so crucial to the whole thing. It really is. I mean, I think the saving part is what I was really terrible at uh, in the beginning. I just, you know, that's all my mom ever told me was save, save, save. Mm -hmm. But she didn't give me like the why or like how to invest. And it's like, I don't want to sacrifice my lifestyle here to, you know, to do what I don't even know. And so I was really terrible at that um, until I met my husband. And my husband was a huge saver, lived at home till we met. I mean, he, you know, had a lot of money saved and still to this day, he's a good saver, but I've learned so much from him uh, in saving. And then I think, you know, pair that with investing. Now you're really talking about true wealth building, but it really always starts with saving. And even in, you know, the little purple book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he, he also talks about that too, you know, in the early days when he was working at Xerox and how he was trying to generate some money so that he could have some something to play with, something to invest with. And so, um, so I love that. What about your kids? Are they, are they good savers? Um, they are, they are, you know, it's always, it's, they're good savers with their money, just not with mine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I want to buy a hoverboard. I want to, you know, go out and do this. I want to, I'm like a hover. How do you even know what a hoverboard is? I don't even know what that is. So I look it up and it's like $200. I'm like, well, you're going to spend your money. And they're like, mm, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> probably not, you know? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to buy it for you. <laughs> like, so yeah, they're pretty good. Um, you know, I think also because we talk about it so often about, you know, what it means to, when you when you spend it, that's it. Mm-hmm. It's gone forever. Mm-hmm. When you invest it, you know, it kind of keeps making yeah. money for you. So, yeah. yeah. One of the things that Rob had mentioned um, that I think was such a good tip for everyone was doing something that he calls the money audit. Mm-hmm. And I think this is so, so valuable because I do it often. And my, my husband and I do it often, but it's this idea of not really changing your lifestyle, but taking the things that you have to spend money on anyway, and figuring out how you can decrease your expenses there, which can add up to a good sum and then taking that money and investing it or saving it or whatever. But that was such a good uh, tip, but it was a great overall episode too. So yeah, it's such a smart tip. And you know, especially with what we're going through right now with COVID-19, mm-hmm. it's critical to know your numbers and to go back through your expenses. This is something I'm totally guilty of not doing. I mean, I'm much better about it now. But like you were saying, you, you've you learned to save. I've learned to know my numbers because back in the day, mm-hmm. it was like I would be paying for these expenses that I didn't like we were paying electrical on a house we didn't even own for two years after we, we sold it because we didn't even like audit that oh, to no. look at it. It was just, oh, yeah. Oh, no. But anyway. Oh, my gosh. So, That's crazy. Um, yeah. This episode is packed with good nuggets. Rob is great. All of our listeners are going to love this one. Here's our conversation with Rob Berger. 
Rob, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Great. We're so excited to have you here because, Rob, I got to tell you, sometimes when I talk to people about early retirement, they're like, okay, yeah, right. <laughs> That's a thing, but I could never achieve that. So I am really glad you're here because you are living proof that financial freedom is not magic and that anyone can achieve it if they have the right knowledge and the right strategies. So start by telling us a little bit about your journey to financial freedom. Were you actually able to retire before your mom and dad? Uh, well, actually, I kind of I kind of was, yes. The short answer is yes. My father actually passed away uh -huh. when I was very young. But my mom, who was a teacher, and she's still a substitute teacher, although I still work too, not because I have to, but because I enjoy it. So I've kind of retired three or four times. <laughs> I probably will tr retire three or four more times before I'm done, God willing. But yeah, I mean, I retired from my main career, which was law. I was a trial lawyer, and I was 40, 49. So yeah, for I hope my mom is not listening, but yes, I did retire before <laughs> she did. <laughs> You're a little bit ahead of the curve. I know um, I heard on a podcast a couple of uh, months ago about how you know, the new way that people are going to live in the future is that they go out and they educate themselves and they, you know, work in that field for a little while and they retire. Um, and then they go out and they explore a new field and they make some money there and then they retire and over and over the cycle repeats until, you know, until the time has come. <laughs> um, but I think that's something that I, a path that I definitely would want to follow too, because, um, I enjoy what we do now, um, and I can't imagine, um, you know, coming to a time where all I'm going to do is just sit around and not do anything or just travel, you know, um, and having the ability to have that impact is what um, kind of keeps you going, you know, so I love that. Yeah, and I find that what motivates me is some kind of challenge. So, you know, once I've done something for a while and have accomplished whatever I accomplished, I tend right. to get bored with it. So, you know, like when I was in law, I was at a big law firm. It's an eight-year partnership track. So I made partner in eight years. And then two, by, two years after that, I was just bored. Yeah. There was no more challenges. Mm -hmm. So I ended up leaving mm -hmm. and doing other things. And then it's the same thing. So it's repeated itself two or three times mm -hmm. so far. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then was achieving financial freedom one of those challenges along your journey? Sure. I mean, if, at first, I, I didn't focus on it at all. I was... You know, when I made partner at the law firm, so I was, I don't know, 32, I think, married, we had two children, and I was sort of living the partner lifestyle. We bought some, a, a nice car, I joined a country club, my wife and I, I bought us nice watches. She doesn't really care about any of that, <laughs> but I kind of forced it on her. And, um, and then I just had an aha moment, and it wasn't that necessary. Well, you know what it was, actually? I was at the country club, and I'm thinking, well, why exactly did I do this? I mean, sure, I like to play golf. Uh, but all of my friends, they didn't belong to the country club. So I would go to, to public courses to play uh -huh. with them, right? It's too expensive <laughs> to bring them onto the pri private course. It's like, why am I doing this? And the aha moment for me was it was my father. So my father had the Mercedes. He had the country club. He owned a jewelry business. We had a, a Rolex. And it just sort of hit me. I'm doing all of these things, mm -hmm. uh, I guess, to try to be like my father, who died when I was pretty young. And, uh, and I thought, yeah, it's just not who I am. Mm -hmm. So mm. sold the watch, got rid of the country club, actually kept the car, mm -hmm. <laughs> but we drove that thing for like 20 years. I mean, we got our money's worth and I just <laughs> decided, yeah, what I really want is financial freedom. So I wanted to get out of debt. I wanted to keep saving and investing. And that was, that all started around 2005, I would say, is when it kind of just, I had a, a, an aha moment, kind of woke up and said, yeah, I don't... You know, part of it was looking at, at lawyers that were 20 years older than I than I was at the time and looking at their life, and it just wasn't what I wanted. They, they weren't happy. Uh, most of them just, you know, were billing their 2,000 hours just to pay all the bills, and they just weren't happy. And I, yeah, I said, yeah, that's not what I want. So I gave all that up, and I actually left. I, I was at Winston & Strawn, which is an international firm. I was a partner in a D.C. office. I had the big office, the whole bit, and I, I left it and took a six-figure pay cut and uh, went in-house for a while. And I remember the first day at this new job, I'd just taken this big six-figure pay cut. I, I could no longer tell people I was a partner and all the prestige, I guess, that can come with that. And I'm in this office that used to be a closet, and they converted oh, it to no. interior 
Apple windows. I'm like at this little desk and I'm thinking, <laughs> what did I just do? <laughs> I just made the dumbest move ever, but it worked out. Oh, that's yeah. so funny. That is so funny. So how did you, I mean, I, I, you know, I think a lot of people, including myself struggle with that, right? Like between like, you know, wanting all the fancy stuff, but then how did you actually realize that the answer to, I guess, happiness, it sounds like, was letting go of all of that and all of the complicated stuff and finding a little bit more of a simpler life? How, like, was it, did you read a book? Did you talk to someone? Like what, how did that idea like come to you? So this is going to seem like a silly answer, but it is the truth. So you, have you ever heard of the latte factor? No. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the basic idea is people get hung up on the latte part of it. That's not really what it's about. The idea is if you can give up some small thing that you buy every day or, or every week you spend money on and instead save it and invest it, eventually it turns into a pile of cash. So uh, it was kind of the latte factor. The deal was I was sort of addicted to mochas. So literally seven days a week, I'm at Starbucks getting a mocha <laughs> latte. And I ended, up, I ended up quitting not because of the money, but because of just the, the calories. And I was miserable. Yeah. I mean, like for like 10 days, all I could think about was a stupid mocha uh -huh. latte. I was in a bad mood. And, but then after about 10 days, maybe two weeks, yeah, I didn't miss it. And in fact, I felt healthier. Mm -hmm. And I really, it sounds silly to, to make this big lifestyle change. By the way, this is not when I left the, the partnership, but it was shortly yeah. thereafter. It, it made me realize that we, we have far more control over what makes us happy than we think we do. We have all these things in our lives and we think, boy, if I lose any of these things, I'll no longer be happy. Uh, and I came to realize that we actually control what makes us happy quite a lot. And if we, if we go without something for a while that we think makes us happy, and maybe there's some withdrawal uh, for a while, we may in the end though, learn that, you know, that, that actually, wasn't something I needed as much as I thought I did. By the way, I think we're probably all learning that to mm -hmm. some degree in the middle of this global mm -hmm. pandemic. So when yeah, I left, left the country club knowing that, yeah, I'm probably not going to miss it. And I didn't. Mm -hmm. And I gave up my Breitling watch and sold it. Oh, I hardly ever wear a watch. I don't have one on now, but I do have an Apple watch. Uh, a lot less expensive. So, you know, I just learned that these things that I thought were making me happy. Yeah, they, they really weren't. Yeah. Mm. So it's 2005. You decide you don't want the country club life. You don't need the watches, the fancy stuff. You take a six-figure pay cut. And then do you have a plan? What was your plan to build to financial freedom? So I, did, I, I had a goal. I didn't have a plan. The goal, and I actually wrote it down on a piece of paper that I still have. And this was in 2005. I think it was in, in I think it was July 12th, I think is the date. And I said, in seven years, I'm going to be totally debt free. That was the, mm -hmm. the goal. Mathematically, it seemed it was probably impossible. Um, but that was my goal. And it ended up not, not reaching that goal, at least not by not within seven years. Mm -hmm. I, it took me a couple more years to reach it. But uh, that was as much by choice as anything else. And when you say debt-free, are you talking about student loans? Are you talking about mortgages? Everything? Everything. Everything. Yeah. I think okay. the, only, the only debt that I still had after I considered myself debt-free was mortgages on investment mm -hmm. properties. So mm -hmm. I did have that with a business partner. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, so I, you know, I, don't, I don't have that now, so I guess now I'm really debt-free. But I, I really didn't I, – I, I considered that debt-free. I mean, the, 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 the rental income was more than covering the – yeah, you know, the, good the payments. So, yeah, but yeah, it included my own the mortgage on our own house. By the way, I know some would probably say you should never pay that off early, given the low interest rates. And, and I certainly can't argue with that approach. Mm -hmm. And it was the approach I followed for a long time until I just decided, yeah, I got the cash. I'm paying it off. And that's what we did. I think that there's a big difference between the debt that you have that you are responsible to pay versus the debt that you have on your rental properties where somebody else is essentially responsible to pay down. So just want to kind of mention that because. Yeah. I mean, we, we were still on the hook for it. Right. And I know you can open up business entities and all that, but we didn't do that. But even then you'd probably have to sign for it, but you're right. I mean, it's a tenant, assuming they keep paying you are paying the mortgage also, the amounts were so small that literally 
we could have never received a rent payment and my business partner and I could have covered the debt service on it. Um, right. So, it, you know, relative to other assets, it was pretty small. Yeah. So then seven-ish years and you pay off all of your debts. Was it just, I mean, I assume it wasn't just from quitting your mocha lattes. There must have been other things. <laughs> what What were some of the other things that you did? So the first thing we did, and this is going to, you're going to call me Captain Obvious, but we stopped going into more debt, which it's not always as easy as you think. I mean, we weren't going into lifestyle debt. We we weren't charging things to the credit card uh, that we couldn't pay off each month. Our debt was primarily from student loans and then some home equity line of credit for buying the house that we lived in at the time. And and that was pretty much it. I, I guess a car loan at one point. Uh, but you know, there's always this, this temptation, you know, we were going to get furniture for, I think the living room and we could pay cash for it, but they were offering us 0% and saying, should we do that? And I ultimately decided, no, we, we weren't going to do any more debt. I mean, I, I'm fine with transferring debt to say a 0% balance transfer credit card, for example, which we did, but I wasn't going to go into any new debt, even if it was at 0%. So that was the first thing was just no, no new debt. Mm -hmm. And then it's amazing what you can save when you're not spending $500 a month on a country mm-hmm. club. I mean, so when we, we, we made changes to our lifestyle that generated extra money that we could eat, we, then we did a combination. I, I'm not in favor of ignoring investing to pay mm-hmm. off debt. I think that's generally a, a big mm-hmm. mistake. So we did a combination of paying down debt and, you know, fully funding the 401k and an IRA mm-hmm. and other things. And, uh, and then that, that was for several years. I started a, a website in 07 at the time, of course, it didn't make any money then. So I would say for the first four years of this transition into, you know, trying to become financially free, it was just from reducing our spending. But by about 2009 or 2010, the website started making some money and we just didn't spend any of it. We, we every, you know, we, we always give money to charity we did that, of course, paid taxes, and um, and then we would put the rest towards debt investing, and that helped us. One of the ways, actually, it helped us, as you, I'm sure, know, with a small business, you can open up either a solo 401k or a SEP IRA, and that allows you to put more money aside and get a tax write-off, if assuming it's not a Roth, uh, in the case of 401k. But in any event, so that helped us boost our savings as well. So yeah, that was kind of just what we did. We we reduced our spending, and then as income slowly increased, and it increased for my job too. Even though I took that big pay cut, eventually I started making a little bit more. I was in house, and I was at the government for a while. We just didn't change our lifestyle. We didn't. We didn't improve, if you will, our lifestyle as our mm-hmm. income went up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, it, all this sounds pretty basic. There is no silver bullet. I mean, it's just basic mm-hmm. math. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, you know, we didn't win the lottery. I didn't inherit, you know, a fortune. But we just kept our spending in 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 check, didn't go into more debt. And when we made a little extra income from the websites, eventually, again, this is now 2010, I think, we we tried to do smart things mm-hmm. with that money. You know, it seems like it's such a novel thing or, you know, a hard thing for people to achieve financial freedom. But really, you know, what it comes down to is living within your means and being able to save a good portion. I notice the people who are able to save like, you know, 50% of their income, they take that money, they invest it, and then they live on what they have. It allows them to live a certain way and it allows them to grow their wealth in a much faster pace, you know, than others otherwise would. And so, um, yeah, important uh, note, I think, especially given everything that's going on, too, with with COVID-19, it's, um, you know, the folks who had no savings and had no investments are likely living check to check and are probably having a, you know, maybe struggling. Um, and so this is a good time to, um, you know, think about your strategy moving forward and to think about, you know, how you're going to prepare for for things like this when you don't know when that's going to come or how that's going to turn out. So, um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the thing to keep in mind is that, you know, if you're able to save 50%, you're obviously going to be able to achieve financial freedom, which I loosely define as 25 times your annual spending Mm -hmm. pretty quickly. But, you know, the truth is, if you can even save 20%, like if you're out of college and you can save 20% Mm -hmm. of your income, you're going to reach that 25 times your annual expenses by the time you're around 50. Now, you know, when you're 22, (laughs) I get that 50 seems like a lifetime away. 
although it will come faster than you <laughs> might imagine. Uh, but that's still early retirement, pretty significant early retirement. So, yeah, if you can save 50%, that's obviously fantastic. But, you know, if that, I guess the point is people shouldn't find that discouraging. You can retire early at 20%. Mm -hmm. Uh, still, by the way, not necessarily easy for everyone, but but also not not extreme. I mean, fifty percent is many people do it pretty extreme. I know not mm -hmm. everyone can. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, saving is not sexy. Mm -hmm. People want the sexy thing; they want to do it fast. And saving it requires discipline. It requires time. It requires patience. Mm -hmm. And so, I'm glad you're talking about this because this is what people need to hear: that financial freedom is not a um, a quick journey. That it requires all of it requires patience and the right tactics and the right plan to be able to get there. But I wanted to ask: so you pay off your debts and you're living within your means. But then at what point were you able to retire? I mean, debt is the first piece, but then, but then what, what's the next part? Yeah. Well, so we paid off our debt at the same time we were always saving and investing. So I was always maxing out our 401k and an IRA and then saving some extra in taxable account even. And then when I was 49, so I, what actually what I did starting in 2013, I went part-time in my practice of law. So I went down to probably two to 400 hours a year. So really part-time. And then and when I was 49, which would have been 2016, I think, if I'm doing the math right, I retired completely from the practice of law. So uh, and that was a great feeling. Um, and, and I still had, well, I still own websites today. I was running a couple of them full-time at that point. So, you know, I guess it's fair to say that I wasn't technically retired, although you feel like you're retired, right? Because you're not answering to anyone. You don't need mm -hmm. to work. Um, feels great. I mean, it's mm -hmm. funny. You could end up doing the exact same thing, but if you're financially free, it just feels different. I don't. Mm -hmm. I, I hope that you can understand that. But you know, of course, I wasn't doing the exact same thing. I went from practicing law to just running a website. You know. Uh, in my sweatpants and a, a t-shirt like I've got on now from my home. But, you know, I could do whatever I wanted. If I didn't want to work that day, you know, I, I answered mm -hmm. to nobody. And the websites could kind of run themselves, at least for quite a long time. So, I, you know, I did that um, and then ended up selling them, actually. Well, two, I sold the three biggest sites that my, my business owned in 2018. And at that point, I really kind of officially felt retired, retired in the sense that I'm now going to start living off of my investments. Mm -hmm. And I was 51. And that's scary, by the way. You know, even when the math makes all the sense in the world, it's, it's, a, it's an emotional sort of shock when you start to spend the money that's in your, your bank account. And um, I don't know if I'm getting too far ahead of where you want to go, but then I ended up taking a job at Forbes. They wanted me to help them on a part mm -hmm. of their website. Mm -hmm. So... So I just retired, I, I guess retired for the second time, if you will, sold three of my sites, was kind of done, was working on my book, actually, so I was going to mm -hmm. do that. And then like, two months later, I started at Forbes, and I just literally uh, went, I'm still at Forbes, but starting this month, actually, I went part-time. So I, I guess I kind of retired again, I don't know. <laughs> um, and I work just 12 hours a week at Forbes, and then I have, I've got other sites that I'm working on. I'm working on another book. I guess I'll never really retire, but anyway. Yeah. You're just in it for all the retirement parties, aren't you, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, they, they, so far, the retirement party has not been that great. I yeah. gotta be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on there, but yeah. So tell us about these websites. Tell us about the first one. I know Dough Roller was the first one that you sold. Tell us about that, how that came to be, um, what it, what the purpose was, and then take us all the way through to the end of, on the sale. Sure. I started Dole Roller in May of 2007. I was still mm -hmm. practicing law, of course. I was a little bored with the practice of law mm -hmm. and just wanted a hobby. And anyway, I, I stumbled across a personal finance site uh, and it was the first website that I said, okay, this is actually just a blog. This is one person running this site. Of course, this is 2007. The blogs are much more common, I guess. But And I love personal finance. I was in the middle of trying to get out of debt. It just the timing and I enjoyed technology. Mm -hmm. 
didn't have a clue how to start a, a blog, by the way. So I did a lot of, <laughs> of Google searches and uh, started the blog and didn't know a thing. I didn't know search engine optimization. I didn't know how to monetize a blog. I didn't know how to get traffic. Many of the social media platforms we have today didn't exist in 2007. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, you know, I just learned and I met mm -hmm. other bloggers and, you know, it made no money in 07. Mm -hmm. uh, but it started to make a little bit of money in 08, a little bit more in 09 and so on. And I just kept learning. Mm -hmm. And by the time I retired from the practice of law, of course, by this time I was debt free. It was making me more money than I was making in the practice of law. Mm -hmm. So that's good, uh, I guess. It, it, it's either good or it says something about my practice of law. But, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, it was just like a dream. Um, but it was also a lot of work. And, and during that time, I bought a couple of more sites and all in the personal finance space. Mm -hmm. And then in 2017, a couple of companies reached out to me, wanted to buy Dough Roller, mm. which is the site doughroller.net and I again and a couple others but doughroller was the main one and by then I had a podcast uh, which I still record they actually kept me on sort of as a consultant oh, and, nice. and I've continued to record the podcast uh -huh. and still do uh -huh. and but anyway that led to a sale in um, February of 2018 and yeah wow. it was uh, it was a wild ride yeah. What was the purpose of Doe Roller? What, what, what did it do? What does the site do or still do, I guess? What is what? Yeah. yeah. It's a personal finance and investing site. I mean, it, originally it was a platform for me to try to come up, you know, produce content that helps people do smart things with their money. Uh -huh. um, and I think early on, it kind of recorded my own journey. Mm -hmm. In later years, I moved away from that in part because I ended up hiring writers mm -hmm. uh, to do a lot of the writing for me mm -hmm. in the later years as it grew. And um, that was really the purpose of the podcast too. My particular focus is investing. I mean, there's a lot of important personal finance things folks need to know, whether it's about insurance or how to buy your first home or how to improve your credit score, mm -hmm. how to get out of debt. You know, these are all important topics and it sort of covered that. But my own personal sort of favorite topic mm -hmm. is investing. And for me, although I, as I mentioned, I own some, some real estate investments for, for quite a while. Mm -hmm. um, what I really enjoy is stock investing, and most of that in mutual funds, mm -hmm. asset allocation, things like that, but also in analyzing companies, individual stocks. You know, mm -hmm. I've been to the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting uh, several times, and mm -hmm. kind of all of that sort of thing is, is uh, really interesting to me, what I focus on. And one of the reasons I think I've stayed at Forbes, because it gives me an outlet you know, to talk mm -hmm. a lot about those sorts of topics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting because we play mostly in the, the real estate space. So it's always mm -hmm. refreshing to hear people who um, love the stock investing side of things. So tell us, mm -hmm. because you have experience with both real estate investing and stock market investing, what is it that, um, that you enjoy so much about investing in stocks? So for me, it's the analysis, it's the numbers. Mm -hmm. You know, for a large time, for the last 15 years of my law career, I first I was at the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, which regulates auditors of publicly traded companies. I was in the enforcement division. So I'm spending all my days knee-deep in numbers, spreadsheets, audit work papers, and I loved that. I know it probably sounds pathetic, but <laughs> that was, you know, I liked the numbers, and they made sense to me. Uh, I can't spell worth anything, but I can remember <laughs> numbers, right? And and then I defended auditor. I just went back to private practice and defended auditors at the end of my career. But I like that sort of analysis. I like looking at financial statements. Mm -hmm. I like understanding asset allocation. I like understanding the, the reasons why in a difficult market like we're in now, mm -hmm. you shouldn't be selling out of equities, for example, mm -hmm. and which is hard to do. People get scared, and that's mm -hmm. understandable. But the math behind that and the reasoning behind it, I find that all fascinating. I, what I don't find fascinating is phone calls from tenants mm. in real estate property. <laughs> I just don't, I don't, I don't like that. Um, now, I will say in defense of real estate investing, from a percentage of return, I've never done better. Well, dough roller, I guess I probably did better. But <laughs> I've never done better in stocks or mutual funds than I did in the, we, we bought HUD foreclosures. I did one flip, but we well, but primarily we bought HUD foreclosures, fixed them up, and then rented them for, for years. And it was never a big operation. I think we owned five single-family homes was mm. the most. And it was in Ohio 
where homes are relatively inexpensive. Mm -hmm. But from a return percentage, mm -hmm. it was just through the roof. It was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's it's different, right? It's a lot of work. It's it's a lot of work. You know, stock investing or you know your typical investments in a four hundred one k. It's really truly passive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you may do a little analysis, but but I mean it's passive, mm -hmm. and there's no liability mm -hmm. uh, potential. With real estate, as you know, uh, there are of course there are ways to invest in a very passive way, as you guys know, <laughs> right? Uh, and as you guys offer, but like if you're going to like go out and buy your own properties and fix them up, you know it's, it's a lot of work. It's a job. It's a mm -hmm. lot of work. Again, it can pay off handsomely. You just have to know. It's not just a passive investment. It's, mm -hmm. it's, so when people say, well, real estate's better than stocks or stocks are better than real estate, to me, it's like comparing apples and oranges. Mm -hmm. They're, they're mm -hmm. both good. They both have different pluses and minuses. But yeah, the, the real estate paid off very, very well. We ended up selling a couple of properties and then I ended up selling the rest to my business partner at the end of 2018. Uh, but it, you know, it paid off very well. We'll get back to our conversation with Rob in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com invest. And now... Back to our chat with Rob Berger. So I'm curious, how do you, how does one monetize a, a blog? Is it just by having the affiliate links and things like that? And then, and then how did you get approached by, was it just because the blog was so big at that point and then someone found you, discovered you? Like, how does, I'm just curious about that for, for people out there who might be wondering like, well, hey, I, I have an interest, I have a passion, I want to start a blog. How do you take it from an idea to, to actually, you know, selling it? So on the monetization front, there are a number of ways. One would be just display ads, those banners mm -hmm. or, you know, you see Google AdSense is an example of display ads. Mm -hmm. Media.net is another. Mm -hmm. There are others. Mm -hmm. And there you're just putting literally a little uh, snippet of code on your site. Mm -hmm. And then it displays ads that are relevant either to the page that the user's on okay. or to the user himself or herself mm -hmm. based on where they've been. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's one way. Affiliate links is certainly another. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and you can think of all affiliate link is like Amazon, for example, has an mm -hmm. affiliate program. So mm -hmm. uh, you could have a link to any product just about that Amazon sells, and you could make a small commission mm -hmm. if someone clicks through and buys it. But every industry has affiliate links. Mm -hmm. You can sell your own products, and folks have done that. Mm -hmm. you know, informational products and so forth. Online courses that can be quite lucrative. Mm -hmm. For me, it was mainly affiliate income mm. uh, with some display ad. Okay. And then in terms of the sale, yeah, once you get to a certain size in terms of traffic and revenue, mm -hmm. bigger companies take interest in that. And the way they find you is mainly from the search engines where they're looking mm. at a specific industry and they see that your site is ranking for relevant keywords. And they have tools that you know allows them to do some analysis on that. And, you know, they're usually reaching out to 
a lot of, in, in my case, the niche was personal finance. Mm-hmm. So I've known a number of personal finance bloggers that have sold in the last couple of years. I know some that are in negotiations now to sell. So yeah, once you get big enough, if you think about it from, if you want to get a little technical, mm-hmm. so let's say a blog is going to sell five, for, for three to seven times uh, earnings. Okay. And they're going to be bought by a, com- a public company, or it could be private as well, but let's say a public company that's trading at 16 times earnings. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's a no-brainer for the public company, right? They're, mm-hmm. going to, they're, buying, they're buying a dollar for like a quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And for the blogger, you know, you're still getting a really big payday and you're taking a lot of risk off the table because there's always risk in anything. Mm-hmm. Here, the risk is mainly your search traffic goes down. Mm-hmm. In fact, Google just had a major update earlier this month. Now, it doesn't affect me anymore. Uh, my, my existing sites aren't big enough to worry about that yet. Um, but, you know, there's, you know, in fact, Door Roller was way back now, nine years ago, there was a Google update called Panda and it hurt my traffic. Now, eventually it came back. Anyway, so there's always risk. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how it, I mean, I can go into much detail as you want. That's probably more than you want. But, yeah, that's kind of how it happens. They see you through search results, reach out to you, start negotiating, and you have a deal. But I had an investment banker, so I felt like a big shot. Mm-hmm. So I had an investment banker that helped me and a lawyer, and then it was done. And so the sale price you said is somewhere be typical sale price is three to seven times the earnings, annual earnings? Well, that's kind of, that's a, a very, very broad brush. I mean, I know of sites that have sold for 10x. Okay. I know for sites that have sold for 2x. Uh-huh. What I'm seeing is it's often of revenue, but in mm-hmm. the case of a blog that doesn't buy traffic, mm-hmm. so it's all organic, mm-hmm. the difference between gross revenue and earnings, I mean, they're usually working at a margin of 90 to 95%. Mm-hmm. So the difference between revenue and earnings is not that great. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would say generally three to five, three to six, somewhere in that range for a content site uh, that's generating most of its uh, traffic organically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you get into paid traffic, now obviously the margins go way, way down. And so you have to look at it a little differently. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I want to go back to what you're saying about the monetization because I'm trying to do the math in my head here. So I'm thinking attorney salary, in my mind, pretty high, pretty darn high. And you're saying your affiliate income or your affiliate and um, display ads were able to exceed that. So I'm thinking like, wow, what kind of affiliate or affiliate partnerships were you able to get? Because Amazon, I know, like you were saying, is pretty small commissions. So um, what kinds of affiliate partnerships were you able to get? So in the finance space, there's just a lot of money to be made. It wasn't Mm -hmm. something that I knew anything about. I started Door Roller because I was was interested in personal finance and investing and nothing to do with the money. Um, I had no, I didn't know anything about the industry. Now, you know, that was, what, 13 years ago. So I've learned a thing or two. And in the finance space, there's a lot of money to be made. And so I know plenty of personal finance blogs that either now or in the past have made, you know, six figures a month on organic traffic in the personal finance space, whether it's through, through affiliates with banks for, like, deposit accounts or for, for credit cards or investing, uh, brokerages and the like. Um, these are, you know, insurance mortgages. Those are big ticket items. Mm -hmm. If you think about it from, you know, think about it from a credit card company's perspective or like an insurance company, once they get the customer, they tend to keep that customer for a long time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they can afford to pay relatively speaking, a lot of money. So, you know, if I'm going to get car insurance, we don't tend to change car insurance every month. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they get, get a new customer, they have them for years, as opposed to if you buy, you know, some trinket on trinket, it's by the wrong word, but you know, you buy some product on Amazon, it's one and done, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a one-time transaction. Right. You can still make a lot of money on Amazon. It depends what you're marketing. That's why, um, for example, sites dealing with say uh, photography can be extremely mm-hmm. lucrative because the gear is so expensive mm-hmm. and people are passionate about, you know, people that are into photography, um, you know, are passionate about it. So, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do, certainly beyond finance, that can be very valuable. But it turns out, I guess in my case, I just got lucky. It wasn't a plan or by design, but mm-hmm. uh, finance mm-hmm. space is pretty lucrative. Mm. It's also, by the way, extremely competitive. Mm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So for our listeners out there who 
They might have come to this show being like, I want to learn about real estate investing and financial freedom and stock market investing. Now, at this point in the conversation, they're like, wait, 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 wait. I want to start a website. <laughs> and get <laughs> my payday. You, right. So what would you say if somebody wanted to start a blog or monetize a website, how do they get started with that? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing is to pick a topic. What the, what's the site going to be about? Mm -hmm. But I would say even before you get there, so you have to, there's a reality check. So when I started in 07, of course, I was working full time. So I was up seven days a week at 5 a.m. Mm -hmm. From five to seven, I worked on the blog. And on days when I had to go to work, Monday through Friday, I, of course, then got ready, got on the subway, worked with my laptop on my knees, typing away, mm -hmm. worked at lunch, worked on the way back if I got a seat, which actually mm -hmm. wasn't that often, mm -hmm. and then would work again when everyone went to sleep. And I did that for like two years. And frankly, when I look back on it, I'm not sure what in the world motivated me to do that because <laughs> I wasn't making any money. I mean, the first, in 07, I made $100 from March no, from May 07 to December, I made 100 bucks. Mm -hmm. I think I made 30,000 in 08. I'm not, not too bad. We gave half to charity. So I netted 15,000 mm -hmm. for all of these hours. I mean, you know, the payoff, <laughs> you got to be a glutton for punishment. It's like trying mm -hmm. to turn the flywheel. They don't, they don't move at first. If you can get over that hurdle, it can be very lucrative, but there are going to be mm -hmm. times when you feel like giving up because you, mm -hmm. you don't, you, you know, it's easy to look back. And say, oh, mm -hmm. that turned out great. But when right. you're in the middle of it, you don't know how it's going to turn out. Mm -hmm. And you can be, there's a hundred different things you could be doing besides hunched over your laptop and publish another <laughs> post, right? That's just the reality. Yeah. I, um, so, but, you know, if you want to get started, it's to pick a topic, you know, and, you know, start Googling how to start a WordPress blog. I mean, I assume most people today would use WordPress. Mm -hmm. It's not that hard. Mm -hmm. um, I actually came up with a list of things that I would do as a, I, you know, I consider myself a professional blogger, and all I, all I mean by that is it's how I make money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't mean I'm any good. Because um, <laughs> anyone can start a WordPress blog literally in two minutes. Mm -hmm. you, can, you can get it set up, get hosting, buy a domain, maybe five minutes. You know, you got a WordPress blog. It doesn't look good. It doesn't have any content. But if you're going to set it up correctly, I started creating a list of all of the things. And the list is still growing. Mm -hmm. but, you know, and, and in fact, my plan is to do a series of YouTube videos walking through how a professional blogger sets up a WordPress site. Hmm. I wish I had that done now and I could share it with you. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually started a Trello board and it's just grown. It's just great. Anyway, you're not going to know all that when you start, right? You're not going to yeah. know any of it. So you mm -hmm. learn it. You just learn as you go. Mm -hmm. So the, the important thing is to pick a topic, pick a subject, get a WordPress site set up. And start publishing, start writing mm -hmm. content, mm -hmm. and then figure it out as you go. I mean, that's kind of what you have to do if you're starting from scratch. I'll say this. One important piece of the puzzle is meeting other bloggers. There's no question mm. that that was what helped me really turn it into a full-time thing. Because mm -hmm. you'll, you, make, you, you have relationships. You meet people. They help you. You help them. You learn from them. They learn from you. I have a mastermind group of about 12 personal finance bloggers. We now, you know, we meet every year, although this year we didn't, we canceled it. We were going to go to Vegas, <laughs> um, but we were on the, on a zoom call every other week and we have a, a private Facebook group. And these are all guys that are, you know, have made seven figures in mm -hmm. personal finance blogs. Mm -hmm. You know, some have sold, some haven't, some are probably will sell. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the opportunity is out there. And, you, you know, you're just going to have to do the work and learn as you go. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't, that doesn't sound like a very satisfying answer as I listen to myself talk, but that's kind of this the reality. I'm still learning. I mean, every day now I'm trying to figure something out. I'm currently trying to figure out how I can put data in Airtable. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a relational mm -hmm. database. I love Airtable. And import it, bring it, suck it into WordPress in a, in a meaningful and easy way. So I'm just like knee deep in YouTube videos trying to figure that out, right? Um, and there's actually a plugin that does it, but it doesn't quite do it the way I want it done. So now I've mm -hmm. got to try to figure that out. Mm -hmm. That's just part of the fun and part of the misery too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're always living for those challenges. Yeah, Rob. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Something's wrong with me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's important, you know, for people to understand that it's, it, it can, it's pretty easy. I think it can be done um, in terms of like getting the info you need. I mean, I always say, you know, this, this thing called a smartphone, if anyone has one of those, yeah. it's really all you need. Um, yeah. And, you know, you could 
start with that and start searching on Google like you said you did uh, and try to figure it out. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people will wait for your tutorial. Uh, I know I will be. Um, <laughs> I'll shoot you an email when I get it done or at least when I get yeah. it started. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Okay. would love to um, share that out with our group. Um, cool. Should we transition into the investing for good impact round? Works for me. Let's do it. All right. So we're going to ask you a couple of questions around investing in yourself, in others, and the world. So the first question is around investing in yourself. So what is one way that your investments are helping you to live a better life? Can I show you instead of tell you? Oh, yeah. Hang on. Don't go anywhere. Can you see this stack of books? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. These are all the books I've read this year so far. Oh, my gosh. Wow. wow. I love that. I do it. So we got The Joy of X. <laughs> okay. Of X. Mm -hmm. Okay. A great book on math. I read about William Randolph Hearst, the chief. Uh -huh. My favorite book so far, without question. Malcolm X autobiography. Just uh -huh. have you guys read this? No, no. Oh my goodness, phenomenal. Anyway, Ooh. I'm able to do that because I control my schedule every day. Yeah. And my goal this year was simple. It wasn't to read X number of books or to read one book a week or what. It was just to read 25 pages a day. That was mm. my goal. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing what you accomplish. It's like the latte factor, except uh -huh. applied to books. Yeah. It's amazing mm -hmm. what you accomplish you know, with a relatively manageable daily goal. I'm mm -hmm. currently reading the biography of Robin Williams, which is kind of sad given how mm -hmm. things turned out. But mm -hmm. anyway, yeah, that's how, at least one of the ways my investing, if you will, has impacted me in a very tangible, practical way. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that seems to be the running theme, right, from all of our guests when we ask that question is the flexibility factor. And same for me and same for Annie and you know, being able to live life on your own terms and do what you want when you want and, uh, you know, living a more meaningful life. So I love that. I'm going to have Absolutely. to check out that Malcolm X book. It's a great feeling to go from trying to build 2,000 hours a year as a lawyer <laughs> to getting to control my day a little better. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> okay. Uh, second question is investing in others. So what is one investment strategy or life hack that you might be able to share with the listeners that you think could help them either with their personal finance or their investment approach, um, or even just living life in general. So, um, I guess, can I give two things? Yeah, absolutely. Cheating. You know, one is, um, and it's going to sound, well, it, it, the one is figure out a way to cut out some spending in your life, but here's the rule. There's some rules to this. One okay. is, it can't, you can't change your lifestyle, right? Because any of us could just decide not to go on vacation and save money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there are tons of ways that you can save money and literally make zero changes to the way you live. Hmm. One, of course, would be, for example, finding cheaper uh, car insurance. You still have mm -hmm. car insurance, you're still driving, mm -hmm. you don't change anything, but you've saved money. I, I call it the money audit, where you literally go through every monthly expense and figure out, do I, do I need this or can I get it for cheaper and still mm. not change my lifestyle? And the great mm -hmm. thing about it is once you make that change with a coupon, coupons are great, I guess. I'm not really a couponer, but you have to keep clipping coupons. If you uh -huh. stop, you know, you stop saving <laughs> money, right? But if you find car insurance is cheaper, you've, you save money every month without doing anything. And then mm -hmm. here's the trick is you got to automate what you do with that money or you, it goes somewhere else and you have no idea where it went. Mm -hmm. So, you know, mm -hmm. put it towards debt, auto, automate it so that that amount of money comes out of your checking account and goes towards your student loans, for example. Although I guess at least right now, no one's paying their student loans, at least mm -hmm. federal, or investing it. And the thing is, is it gives you a one-two punch because you not only reduce your spending, but you increase your savings. So from a financial freedom perspective, it's like a, I call it the slingshot effect. Mm -hmm. um, it's like mm -hmm. going around the moon, the gravity just, you know, mm -hmm. when you're on a ship that's broken, it, it slings you back to earth if folks know that historical reference. In any mm -hmm. event... The second thing is a little different, but it's it's sharing something that you, some expertise that you have that can be helpful to others. So in, in my example, when I started the Dough Roller podcast in 2013, part of that was a way to sort of personalize and, and reach people in a different way. And my first thought was, well, how am I going to make money from this? So I got a couple mm -hmm. of advertisers. And literally after a couple of months, I said, yeah, I, I don't even want to think about advertising. It's mm -hmm. pain. I don't want, so I got rid of the advertising and ran that until I sold for five years 
and didn't make any money from it. But it allowed me to reach a lot of people and help a lot of people, I hope, I think. Mm -hmm. Today, I'm doing that with my YouTube channel, although if I'm being totally honest, I do expect someday to become a famous YouTube star. Um, of course. I, 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 that may not and with happen. With your track I, record, could, with it, your track record, you probably will. It, you know, it's very likely oh that will never happen. But that's another example. You know, like I'm doing a, a series now on the channel uh, on how to use Morningstar, which is a, a website that helps you evaluate stocks, mutual funds. You know, I'm not making any money from that. But money nerds like myself are really into that. Mm -hmm. And so it's a way to kind of share what I know. So mm -hmm. figure out some way to share what you know. It doesn't have to be on a podcast or a YouTube mm -hmm. channel. It could just be mm -hmm. in talking with your friends, your family, sharing some expertise that you have. It's a kind mm -hmm. of a way to give back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. I feel like that's what Annie and I are always trying to figure out new ways to do from, you know, good egg investments, our business to the podcast, to our coaching program and all of that. It's like, how can we continue to take what we know? Um, it's almost like, Annie, you've mentioned this almost like being selfish, right? Like if you hold on to that information, you don't share it with the world and you're kind of, you know, being selfish in that way. So I love that. Okay. Last question is around investing in the world. So what is one way that your investments are helping to make the world a better place? So our investments uh, allow us to give a fair amount of money to charity. Mm -hmm. And for my wife and I, uh, we use a do what's called a donor-advised fund. Mm -hmm. It's where you can contribute. We use Vanguard, so you can contribute appreciated stock, for example, mm -hmm. and take a tax deduction uh, without taking the capital gains. And then invest it inside that donor-advised fund, and then over time, as you decide, give it to different charities. Mm -hmm. And uh, our charities primarily involve... Uh, organizations that help children in some mm, way. Mm, and so that's, I, that. I guess, the direct way we're trying to help the world. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what we do. I love that. I, I feel like children are our future. I know it's so cliche to say that, but um, I, I, kids are so innocent. And um, if we can help shape and change their lives, I think the world will be a better place. So couldn't, couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, Rob, what's the best place that people can go to learn more about all that you're doing and to connect with you? So the best place would just be my personal website, robberger.com. Um, okay. You'll find links to my to Twitter. I'm not a huge Twitter person, but I... I, I not yet. Yeah, not yet. That's right. That'll right. be the well, next conquest. Um, you'll see my book there linked to the YouTube channel. I have other sites, but that's the most personal one. It's fairly new. Um, I'm, but in any event, robberger.com would be the place to go. Okay. Well, we'll have that in the show notes for all our listeners. Rob Berger, author of the book, Retire Before Mom and Dad, The Simple Numbers Behind a Lifetime of Financial Freedom. Definitely go check out that book. Check out robberger.com and all of the resources there. Thank you so much for being with us today, Rob. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Investing for Good, the number one podcast for people like you who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com slash podcast. And be sure to join the Investing for Good Facebook community. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations every week. Until next time, keep investing for good.